Hello, listeners. This is Tabs. And I'm Stefan. Welcome to Shellshock, a show where we talk about movie conspiracies and don't afraid of anything. Nothing at all. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, today we're uh, starting a slightly different format. We've done two episodes that were quite long, I think, uh, uh, (laughs) spanning over an hour each, where we really go into a topic. And I think for this episode, we want to cover a very particular single topic and and try to do it in slightly less time, Mm -hmm. a bit more of a Mm bite-sized episode. Yeah, Yeah. it actually came uh, as a surprise to us as well, because we... (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have uh, discovered things that we would like to share with you. (laughs) Therefore, this is a very surprise episode for us too, and it's going to be shorter, so bear with us. We sort of had to record it, I think, while the iron was still hot, while we're (laughs) still at peak hype levels. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We've learned some things, internet. (laughs) You need to hear them. Yes. (laughs) Uh, today episode we're going to talk about the handmaiden and uh, please before you continue listening any further uh, go and watch the movie it is a fantastic movie and we'll be spoiling basically all of it during Mm. this episode so um, if you would like to come to it with your own experiences and then listen to what we thought go and check it out right so uh, the reason why we're talking about the handmaiden as a movie uh, particularly, I mean, um, I, I watched it personally because uh, a content creator on YouTube, uh, Innuendo Studios, who I personally follow, um, had a video on it and basically opened the video with, you know, uh, this is a great movie, I'm going to talk about it, uh, but you should probably just watch it first and then come back to this video. And I don't know if you do this, Tabs, but uh, these days, sometimes when just a, a content creator whose work I like just tells me, just, you know, go out, watch this movie, play this game, and then come back to the analysis. I sort of just like, all right. You listen. <laughs> I listen. You know what's good for me, buddy. I will do that. <laughs> when, you know, when you trust, uh, okay, yeah. this, this this creator's only been making uh, essays on things that I like. Here's yeah. a new thing that I haven't heard of. Okay, I'm just going to go in. Yeah. And uh, I think we both went into The Handmaiden, you know, blind. We just watched it. Yes. I've I've seen the trailer beforehand and I was intrigued, but then uh, I was actually kind of put off by another creator, <laughs> which is uh, funny because uh, the review that I got was that um, the movie is more um, soap opera, right? Uh, a bit has a bit theatrical dramaticism in it and mm. then I was like mm, I'm not sure it's not it's not something I usually watch so I kind of postponed it until later right. but then you told me that is great and of course I'm also a fan of Inu and Duo Studios and then I watched it and it was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> right and then we watched you know in his video the video which I will uh, add a link uh, below so you can also check that out before listening to this podcast yeah uh, specifically because, you know, in, in his video, uh, Innuendo Studios makes a couple of, of comments on uh, whether the movie actually succeeds in its core premise. And it caused us to go in, reanalyze the movie, and actually we figured out that there's, you know, some, some stuff hidden in there that yeah. we haven't heard anyone else talking about it. So we want to take this episode to sort of spill the beans on this, like, awesome revelation. <laughs> yes. Uh, on this movie, like a layer that that other people 
At least I haven't seen anyone, you know, tapping into yeah, it. Yeah, me neither. And uh, we are excited to talk about it. So before we get into it and spoil everything right. that there is to spoil, um, why don't you tell us what this movie is actually about? Right. Save so, fun. Uh, so yeah, another spoiler warning, because I think in order to properly talk about it, we should just summarize the plot and then go from there. So this is just going to be a straight up, like, all the plot twists are in here. Uh, but yes, uh, The Handmaiden is a story about two con artists who try to obtain a rich collector's inheritance by having one of them, a man known as the Count, marry the collector's daughter, Hideko. After the marriage, the Count plans to commit the, daughter's, uh, the daughter to an insane asylum and make off with the cash. His accomplice, then, is a pickpocket named Suki, uh, and she is to act as Hideko's handmaiden and, and help persuade her to marry the Count. Uh, and in return, she will get a share of the money. Uh, while Suki eagerly participates in the scheme at first, she and Hideko quickly begin to have feelings for each other and she begins to have second thoughts mm -hmm. you know, about this conspiracy. The movie's second act then completely reverses this premise by revealing that it was in fact the Count and Hideko who were conspiring together to mm -hmm. split the inheritance between the two of them because Hideko, being a woman, would not be able to access her inheritance and escape her uncle on her own. So she needs to marry a guy, uh, might as well be the Count. Yeah. Uh, the real plan then is to have Suki, the handmaiden, being committed to the asylum after the marriage instead of Hideko. But much like Suki, Hideko also has second thoughts about her plan with the Count. The third act then reveals the women's plan coming into action as they outscheme the count, make off with the money together, and escape into a life that is no longer dictated and framed by male figures. Yes. I only have one correction, and that is the Hideko is not the daughter of the collector. Right. She's actually the niece of his deceased wife. If right. I'm yes. if I'm correct. No no no, I think you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, how would you, how would you be your uncle's daughter? That doesn't make sense. No, that doesn't make sense <laughs> because uh, she does refer to the collector um, character as uh, uncle. Right. Yeah. yeah, but she she lives with uh, her uncle. Yeah, and uh, is sort of like under his, uh, you know, like she she performs work for him. Yeah, you know, she helps him sell these uh, books that he collects, you know, mm -hmm. like gentlemen come over to the house yeah. and she reads the books for them mm -hmm. and then they decide whether they want to buy, you know, like uh, yeah. the book in, the, uh, in these auctions. Yeah. And that's sort of like what she does around the house and she's sort of, yeah. you know, like, uh, but she wants to, uh, you know, like it, it's revealed that her motivation is like she doesn't, uh, she wants to move away, mm -hmm. you know, get rid of her uncle's influence and live yeah. by herself, mm -hmm. but she can't get her parents' inheritance it's going to go to her uncle unless yep. she marries someone. Yeah. And uh, I think it is worth mentioning that the books uh, in question uh, of the uh, uncle, there are forgeries. They're not authentic, which right. I think is a very important uh, part of the movie that also connects to the overall theme right. of the movie. Uh, okay. Anything else you want to uh, disclose before we get into the discussion? Well, I mean... Uh... Something that surprised me about the movie that I think has to be mentioned while we're still at the summary level is that it's, um, um, I'm not sure if I'd call it a soap opera, but mm -hmm. it is a very, uh, it is a movie that focuses on intrigue yeah. and drama. And uh, it's uh, it's also very sexual. It uh, is very sexual, yes. In terms of it depicts 
sexual acts. It talks about them, and it uh, it's. It, I think it originally also got marketed upon release as sort mm -hmm. of like, oh, it's like a sexy, sexy crime thriller with yeah. twists and turns and yeah. scandalous, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I I wouldn't disagree um, uh, particularly, but uh, it it has a lot more into it. At least for me, it, it had a lot more into it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a crime. Um, passionate thriller would, I think, summarize it yeah. properly. Yeah. So what are the things, because I mean, uh, before before we get to our big reveal of, yes. okay, what is this new thing? <laughs> we are properly hyping this up. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> We're at least giving it our best effort. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'd first be very curious uh, what about the movie stood out to you because mm -hmm. we both enjoyed it enough to be sitting here talking about it. Yes. Um, I mean, at the first glance, when we, uh, if we are to talk about cinematography, uh, it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm always amazed by the level of colors and the liveliness of the images that uh, movies, specifically from Korea and Japan, offer. Mm. And when I'm comparing that to uh, more mainstream productions, of, for example, Hollywood, the, the contrast is so stark. Right. Um, then when after a while of watching Hollywood movies, you go into and uh, take a dip into the uh, East Asia <laughs> productions, you're just suddenly hit by this wave of color and it's just fascinating. Mm. So I really appreciate that. Mm. And I think we have discovered color and how to <laughs> capture it on movie. And I think we should continue to do so and do justice right. to the images. And... Um, I think um, the way the movie sets itself up and uh, the way it is divided into three acts was uh, very appealing to me. I really liked it. It, it, it kind of had this classical um, retro look to it. The, uh, okay, you are telling the story from one person's point of view. It starts from Suki and then goes to Hideko and some more things are revealed and then the third act and uh, like the revelations coming along and you get the whole picture. Hmm. And that to me was really interesting that you clearly divide this into how different people see this story, hmm. which to me connects to the core theme of the movie, which was talks about the power of stories mm. and more importantly who is telling them to whom they are telling them and what are their intentions of telling this story and i think in this theme the audience is as much a participant as suki and hideko and the count and the collector the uncle mm. so um this also connects to the ending of the movie which i think the audience has a big part into it and they are invited into the narrative of the story into the narrative of the film in a beautiful way and that's what i mainly appreciated from it mm. And I think it is uh, well establishing the um, messages that it's trying to uh, get across uh, mm. without being overtly obvious. It right. does respect the audience, which I appreciate, um, yes. but it does establish the things that it wants to say 
properly mm. um so you're not hit <laughs> on the uh, on the back of the head with like oh i don't know what happened here mm. it's not um a crime thriller mystery in a sense of uh, sherlock holmes that is oh he's just a genius and he sees numbers in the air but <laughs> <laughs> but you actually get to see what is happening and you get to put things together and see what is going on so i really love that uh and of course i always appreciate the representation of queer <laughs> love in movies uh which is what mm -hmm. this is about the love between uh suki and hideko mm -hmm. uh, that uh flourishes throughout the movie and then comes to fruition uh and i always like a beat down of patriarchy <laughs> I am I am here for it. I, th I, think, I think it's pretty fair to describe this movie as a right. Just like um, a heavy-handed. It's not just me, right? It's a no. heavy, heavy. It's at points it some becomes like a very heavy-handed beating of the patriarchy, which I'm here for it always and forever. <laughs> at the same time, though, I think it it has moments of being really subtle, uh, in the sense that yes, as a, as a mill viewer. Uh, when uh, looking at the relationship between Su Suki and Hideko, I got this very, I would often, through the way the camera behaves, through the way it's written, I would get this feeling as, this this is not for you. Mm -hmm. Like you, the heterosexual straight male viewer. Yeah. This this is not something that, that we're making for you. This is for us. Yeah. Uh, you can be here, but we're not delivering this for your gratification or for your enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does so without stating it outright. Yeah. It merely does its own thing and it leaves you to, you know, make that, draw that conclusion. Yeah, uh, exactly. And one of the things that uh, the Innuendo Studios uh, video uh, brings up is that the level of nudity uh, of the women is far more in the scenes that they are together uh, than the ones where uh, the men are... Um, exploring them in a sense so that in itself shows that they are comfortable more with each other and if we are to um, look at them and bring this sexuality into the scene we need to look at them from the point of view of the women mm. and not the men right. and i think that's a very fair point and uh, it makes a lot of sense it had a lot of uh, dare i say it female gaze in, yes. it, in its framing rather yes. than a male gaze and if you're a male viewer and you're very used to having the male gaze, mm. the movie almost feels dis like just confusing at first because yeah. you're not getting catered to in the way that you can just normally assume. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that contributes to that feeling of, oh, this is, I guess this is for someone else. Yeah. It's, it's not obviously trying to please me all the time. No, no, this is true. While we're talking about subtlety, mm -hmm. uh, I think the movie does a great job at this all around. For instance, Hideko's uncle. Uh, the the books mm -hmm. that he's forging and that he's the movie at first you know like when you have the characters talking about it it sounds like such a respectable enterprise like yeah. he's a man of literature and he's collecting and yeah. he's also and at some point the movie just straight up shows you that the uh, the books he's uh, collecting and the books he's asking his niece to read are straight up pornography. They are very, yeah. They are nothing but pornography. <laughs> it's just like the raunchiest, you know, like. Yeah. Um, very explicit things. And it doesn't really have a character going like, oh, gasp, you know, mm. that's the truth. No, no. Like, it's being treated as the most normal thing in the world. Yeah. Like, no one thinks strangely of it because he just gets to do it. And yeah. he has this whole narrative around it that he is this 
distinguished gentleman, a purveyor mm -hmm. of like high quality content. Yeah. And uh, it's sort of the audience who is just being left to conclude, like, oh, no, this is just like... This a... is not, there's something very wrong about this. And uh, that filters into, I mean, if we're talking about male gaze and female gaze, another thing that I think the movie does beautifully is it shows you what it feels like for women to be trapped and ruled by the male gaze mm -hmm. without overly judging it or overly judging the audience. As mm -hmm. in, uh, like you said, it didn't feel heavy-handed. No. Um, as a male viewer, you sort of get a taste of the experience of, mm -hmm. you know, being with Hideko, being watching her um, performing for a male audience who yeah. are just consuming her like she's a, like a piece of meat without yeah. individuality. But it's not telling you, you know, like, men are evil or this is all they ever do or you, the male audience, are terrible for yeah. looking this way. It merely shows you the experience and leaves you to make your own conclusions. Mm. And that's something that I... Uh, so that, that level of subtlety, you yeah. know, just showing and uh, speaking through the subtext rather mm. than heavy-handed moralizing dialogue. This is clearly yeah. wrong. Are you paying attention? I also ha uh, agree with you that... Uh, I also kind of suffer from like Western sci-fi superhero movie <laughs> fatigue. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this movie is actually kind of like a soap opera, but in a good way. It's, it has a very small, intimate setting with very few characters and real drama. It doesn't mm -hmm. require a save the world plot. It, it's about real no. people with real feelings. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. Uh, it actually, uh, you know, it feels like a soap opera at first, and then as soon as the second act rolls around, it suddenly punches you in the gut, and, yeah. and you are left with like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it suddenly becomes a mystery, and you're trying to figure it out. And the last thing that I want to want to bring in is that I uh, I think it's somewhat an extension of of uh, my other points is that I really appreciate how the movie depicts this love between these two two women without politicizing it. Mm -hmm. it's a straight up sincere romance they get to have all like the you know like the moments of being uh, shy and nervous and you know like the little uh they they sort of open up to each other and they yeah. test the waters and then it, it it is so genuine and sincere um and i like that they never really have to defend it mm -hmm. in the story no one questions them no one calls them out or, or asks them to like, oh, this is wrong or, you know, explain this. Yeah. No, they just have a straight up sincere romance that is unquestioned, is pure and is not politicized. Yeah. Uh, and depicting that is, I think, like a nice step to sort of say, hey, you can do this. You can show a beautiful romance between two women and it doesn't even have to be a statement. It no. doesn't have to be like, see, this is fine too. <laughs> no, it's just like a depiction of something and we can have this. And mm. it's just, just you know, <laughs> yeah, without being called into question. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, actually, I would say that is part of the story itself because no one really cares about what they want. Right. And therefore, to to ask them about their desires and the feelings that they have towards each other, it's not even under the radar of either the uncle or the count himself, because they are uh, using these women to get to what they want. Right. The uncle is using Hideko, who he has trained uh, from childhood to read out loud these Japanese stories to the uh, male customers, who uh, who will then go ahead and buy the buy the books. 
And um, he has done the same thing to his wife, which uh, drove her crazy and uh, uh, she committed suicide. Mm. Uh, and also Suki, um, I think we see her in a, in a kind of a house with uh, other people and there are a lot of children involved. And I think uh, she's also being kind of employed and also exploited by the, by the count mm-hmm. as some sort of um, labor in terms of acquiring wealth for him. So yeah. he doesn't also like he's in the scene that uh, he sees Suki um, defending um, Hideku and for example not leaving the room and giving uh, space to to count in order to uh, go ahead with the scheme and with the plan he's very confused about it mm. like he he doesn't understand what is going on he also doesn't understand when he asks the same questions from Hideku in the second part that he tries to convince her that Suki is in fact after nothing but her money mm. and Hideku has second thoughts and the count doesn't quite understand and he also doesn't take the time to ask because genuinely he does not care yeah it, it almost i agree that it sort of leaves him blind yeah. because he doesn't consider that they have desires that no. he should take seriously in any yeah. way shape or form or uh, he only takes the desires seriously that are directed at him sure yeah because i mean he he only considers i think uh, suki a a pawn more so than a sort of like an equal partner in yeah. the endeavor, like a, a necessary scapegoat. Yeah. And he treats Hideko with sort of like this disdain because he thinks that because she's not into him mm-hmm. and he hasn't seen her being into any other man, yeah. that she is sort of this cold creature devoid of, of any warmth yeah. or passion and sort of also therefore, you know, doesn't give much thought to yeah. her wants or desires. Which is then confirmed by the uncle who also uh, determines that, yes, there is nothing behind her eyes but death. Yeah. Yeah. So with all that, I think we, we have a, a, a proper setup, I think, for talking about the third act yes. of uh, the movie. Because um, in his uh, video, his, his video essay about... Uh, the Handmaiden, mm-hmm. Inuyama Studios pointed out uh, two points where he questioned if maybe, uh, you know, the movie in trying to make a message about female empowerment is perhaps missing the mark because of two things. The first is that uh, in the first two acts, we have Suki and Hideko, respectively, as point of view characters, whereas the third act is narrated from no one's point of view in particular. Uh, with actually a lot of the screen time focusing on the count, uh, leaving us to wonder, well, you know, does after two acts of women trying to free themselves from these men's schemes, is the count going to be the one who gets to tell their story when they're clearly trying to liberate themselves from mm-hmm. that? And the second one is that, yeah, you know, like the, the sex scenes mm-hmm. are at times depicted in a way that you could argue perhaps doesn't get away from the male lens. Mm-hmm entirely yeah which begs the question you know is are we still somehow uh, failing you know uh, to... in actually portraying uh, a feminine point of view in and the I, movie and i think that's where where our moment came yes right? <laughs> we we had a discussion <laughs> yes. about this movie and uh, what, what was it that you said again at some point because you had a suspicion uh yes i had a suspicion uh well the first thing was that uh about um he mentioned that the female characters rarely talk 
uh, to each other or uh, anyone else for that matter during the third part of the movie after they uh, Suki successfully runs away from the um, uh, institution that uh, she was admitted to and Hideko also uh, drugs the count and runs away with the money and they meet each other they do not talk and we also don't hear their monologue um there's only one scene that Hideko, um, uh, is the voice of Hideko reading the letter that she had wrote to her uncle. Okay. And uh, Inyonda's uh, uh, studios uh, depicted that as a flaw in a movie that then does not give these women uh, an opportunity to tell their stories at the third part. Uh, as in, my perception of that scene was that um, when the female characters finally claim their own agency, from that point on, we're not entitled to their deepest and darkest secrets and inner monologues anymore. We are not invited into their relationships. Mm. What we get to know uh, with much detail in the part one and two are the images almost um, the construct of these women who are made in the eyes of the uncle and the count and who were very much in control of their lives. So even what we get from the first part and the second part uh, at times might not be completely true. Mm. Uh, and we know that there are things hidden from us. Um, uh, some of it because there are revelations to be made in the third part of the uh, part of the movie and to um, show us the whole plot, but I think partially because um, it is distorted. Their image of these women is distorted, and when they get to know themselves first and foremost, and then know each other, we're not supposed to be part of it anymore. That's why we turn into an unsuspecting person in the street watching Hideku knock on the door and then Suki coming out and hugging her and we are this um, person standing on the deck of the ship watching these women hugging and mm. uh, just being there we're not intimate with them anymore because I think partially they have not granted us permission right. and I actually like that take there is an exception, though, and I think that's at the heart of what we're going to talk about. Yes. Main, uh, uh, meaning the final, final scene mm -hmm. in the movie, uh, which is uh, uh, after after quite a while, because I think like the last sex scene between uh, Hideko and Suki mm -hmm. at that point has been maybe like an hour. Yeah. In in movie time uh, ago, and then we sort of after you know like the uh, the other subplot with the count mm -hmm. and and. Uh, Hideko's uncle is resolved. We get one more shot mm -hmm. of of these girls, you know, celebrating their victory yes. by uh, by having sex with each other in a way that is almost uh, uh, pornographic when you compare it to the Very way pornographic. Yeah. it was depicted uh, earlier in the in the in the first and the second act. Yes, and um, there's even a bit of heavy symbolism where they take these, you know, these bells, mm -hmm. which uh, were very similar to the beads mm -hmm. that Hideko's uncle used to punish her when she was a kid and that yeah. she has very negative associations with and that almost symbolize her former, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. objectification and suppression at the hands of, of men. Yeah. And, you know, the women take this symbol and they take, they use, use it, it for their own pleasure. Using the, uh, and, and not only that, they uh, emulate this story. One mm -hmm. of the stories that Hideko used to read, yeah. which is also a form of her oppression. So, yeah. you know, like a reading that you could make from this is that they're taking control of these symbols. They're, mm -hmm. they're making them their own. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, and uh, Innuendo had a objection to that, like, well, yes, you could read it that way, but you could also just straight up read it the way that, oh, we're just giving, given, you know, like a gratuitous yeah. lesbian lovemaking scene mm -hmm. that uh, confirms that, yep, it looks exactly the way we think it does. And it looks as glamorous and as, you know, like visually spectacular. And, and as a man, you can, you know, like enjoy it. Yeah. And that supposed flaw is actually part of a bigger web of deception. Yes. <laughs> that we are going to talk about now. Yes. So, so, lay it on us. Yes. My theory is that the last authentic and real image of these women that we see is on the deck of the ship right. where um, Hideku um, bends down and fastens the shoelaces of Suki and then they get up and they throw away all the symbols of patriarchy, right. which includes the gloves, the wedding ring, and the mustache. And I think when that scene ends, um, that is the last time that we are actually seeing the women in the real world. In the real world. In the real world. And what follows the supposed death of the Count, the sex scene that follows, is actually the fevered imagination of the dying Count. So the sex scene, it is happening inside of his mind. And we are not yet skilled enough or free enough to recognize the narrator or more importantly, the authenticity of the story told in front of us. Mind blown, Tavis. <laughs> that, that is a bold assertion, though. Because, so, okay, so here's this guy, you know, like he got, he just got his fingers chopped off. He yes. just got threatened with having his dick cut off. Mm-hmm. And he used, you know, like these mercury cigar cigarettes, I think. Yes. To, you know, like get mm -hmm. some last minute justice. And he inhales, you know, like the mercury smoke, probably just getting high off of that while he's on the brink of death. And this whole scene of them, you're saying, is his imagination. Yes. But let's get into the bones of why. Because, I mean, uh, as soon as you made this, uh, this assertion, you know, you said like, okay, so what if that last sex scene mm -hmm. is the, the, the Count's fever dream? And we start yes. looking into the movie and you try to look for that reading. Mm -hmm. uh, the signals are suddenly all over. So let's go into them. Okay. I mean, the first that I think is, if you just look at the scene by its own merit, mm -hmm. I think it depicts the, the sexual acts. Uh, the cinematography is very different. Yes. Compared to... Uh, the the, uh, the sex scene that we see we saw uh, earlier yes. in the part one and two. Because, uh, you know, like the, the, the sex scenes when they're actually, you know, like starting their relationship where we know it's told from their perspective. Yeah. They're, uh, the camera is shaky. It's off center. Mm -hmm. The hair is messy. Yeah. Uh, they're sweaty. <laughs> the clothes are everywhere. And it's not, it's not so constructed. Yes. Whereas if we look at this final scene, it is like perfectly... Uh, you know, like front and center. Front and center. It's composed. It's visually symmetric. They yeah. are posed. Yeah. And uh, it's almost like they are putting on a display for yes. us in the way that you know, like they take these bells and they mm -hmm. insert them in, uh, you know, each other's velvet to match the story. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, if you compare that to the sort of the practicality of how they were having sex, it's almost yeah. like okay, they're they're holding these awkward positions yeah. to make sure that it looks good for us while they're doing exactly. it. Exactly. Like, they're standing so unnaturally straight. Everything is so polished and so colorful and so perfect. And when you compare that to the other sex scene, that the two women were just together, 
and uh, the room was a mess. It wasn't that well lit. Yeah. Um, like the positions are, they have to move in order to find comfortable position because uh, of course, like that's how people have sex. Yeah, pretty much. That's how naturally it works. You have to work your way through it. And even in the... Uh, criticized scissoring <laughs> scene which seems to be the <laughs> never leaving uh, scene of lesbian movies right. even there like the uh, passion that they put into it and the uh, struggle that they have to make it work that is so human and mm. so real and you don't really see that in the last sex scene like yeah. there there are la- there is laughter and there is of course, touching and everything, but everything is so perfect. Everything is so beautiful. They are calm and demure, and yes. you know. But that's not all. There is a whole lot of. There is a whole lot of things. I what, actually think that this is a very well established plot point. Yes, and it's almost a shame that we missed it. Yes, it's almost a shame that we missed it the first time. Like I'm actually after going through it and realizing it, I'm actually surprised that we haven't realized it at the beginning. So I think it actually closely follows the rule of the three, which is to set up something, remind the audience, and then go to the payoff. Okay. So what is the setup? Uh, I would say that in a part two, where stories are told from Hideku's point of view, uh, the Count and the Hideku are sitting in in the garden. And they are trying to kiss in order to convince Suki of the authenticity of the proposal. And Hideko cannot go with it because uh, she doesn't like the count and she's also nervous about her emotions about Suki and she feels weird about deceiving her. So the count suggests, think uh, of me as the puppet and I will think of another woman. And Hideko asks, what woman? And the count says, uh, the lady... um, Yes, the Duchess Juliet, which is a character from the previous reading of the night that uh, Hideku was reading a story of the night being suffocated to death. Right. Which is, I think, also foreshadowing. Okay. So this is the first one. I think this is a setup to show that the Count is actually so mesmerized by these images of the women Hmm. with the idea of the perfect woman that is then being told through Hideku's mouth. Hmm. I think the reminder, which comes very closely to the end of the movie, is when the Count is inhaling mercury with deep breath, because he's trying to die, (laughs) of course. (laughs) There is a back and forth between the scene in the basement where the Count is inhaling and the night of the reading of the the sound of bells on a windless, the bells ringing in a windless night story. Why is it specifically that night? Because that night there was a blackout. Yes. And the lights were flickering. Yes. So this is specifically the scene that the Count remembers. So before he dies, before we go back to that sex scene of using four uh, silver balls by these by Suki and Hideko, mm-hmm. we have a flashback of the Count to that night that this specific story was told. Yes. So we have the, the visual cue of the... The blackout, which yes. on its own appears out of place in a movie that is very economic about its foreshadowing exactly. and, its, and its subtext. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, you know, like it, uh, this is the only place where that, you know, visual cue is reused. Mm-hmm. So that cues us into, okay, we're being brought back to this yeah. moment where that story was read. Yeah. And then we straight up, you know, like uh, see a couple shots from that reading to mm-hmm. further reinforce that the Count's thoughts are with yeah. 
that reading, which was one of the the saucier ones, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was like, one of the saucier ones. It, it it got the audience very excited. Yes. Um, so here we are. So now is the payoff. The Count is drifting into death. Mm. And he's focused on Hideko on that night and Hideko's lips. And then we slowly, with him inhaling more and more mercury, we go into the scene of Hideko interchanging into the image of Hideko and Suki mm. on a boat right. where the Count is rowing the boat and he's looking at them. Mm. And at some point... Hideku grabs Suki's hand and holds it tight. Mm. And the Count sees this. Yes. And I think the most important thing in the scene is that the Count is not in focus. It is blurry. Yeah. But what is in focus is the image of Suki and Hideku holding hands mm. lovingly. And Hideku looking at the Count with this beautiful look in her eyes such dream and such passion he sees passion in her eyes he see pa for the he first see, time for the first time and then we cut back to the image of the count blurry as it is mm -hmm. and then it goes to the dark right and then cues in the door of the cabin of the ship opens uh suki and hideko walk in and then the sex scene starts and there is even more a visual cue to reinforce this and that is the shot of the moon that yes. we pan to at the end yes. of the movie because uh, uh, I think this is this is one of the first cues that pointed out to us like oh this is definitely what the movie is doing um, because there is one other time mm -hmm. where we have this wistful panning from a scene at hand yeah. to the moon which is where the count is lying to Hideko's uh, uncle, uncle about his supposed wedding night yes where they didn't actually consummate their marriage uh, but Hideko, you know, like made herself bleed and uh, made some, you know, uh, some noises yeah. so that everyone would be convinced. Mm -hmm. uh, but nothing actually happened. And he. She, in fact, masturbated in front of him. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like the Count tells uh, her uncle, like, it was like I heard a nightingale sing. It yes. was, there has never been such a passionate wedding night. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. And you see, you know, like the the, it the camera. It pans into the uh, the moon in the sky yes. when he's telling this story. So he's telling a story that is far more beautiful than than what actually happened. Yeah. But it's sort of like his active imagination. Mm -hmm. So if the movie creates this visual shorthand for the count, you know, like coming up with a like a, a romanticized yeah. version of version the of the uh, actual events. And guess what happens right after <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> we are going uh, we are um, transitioning from the Hideko and Suki sex scene in the boat. It goes to an image of the moon in the sky and it is a full moon and it is beautiful. And then it cuts back to the image of the moon on the back door of Hideko's room and we cut to the credits. So, I mean... So... <laughs> <laughs> this, this is... We are, in fact, gawking at the image of these women having sex. So perfectly framed, so constructed, such a performance meant to please us. Yes, we're not suspicious. <laughs> Stay fun. The movie, the movie ends with us still trapped in the house that has harbored patriarchy for so many years with the rotting body of these despicable men in the basement. And we are staring at the picture of the moon drawn on the closed door of Hideko's room, thinking it is real. We, we are seeing them portrayed through the Count's sexual fantasies. Yes. And we haven't even noticed. We can't tell. We can't tell because we are not free. 
I think the only reason the movie gets away with this is because it uh, depicts them in the actual uh, location where they were, where we la last left off. They're on the boat, they are dressed in, you know, like the, the, the same outfits, which I think is the one, the one little gap that the Count wouldn't be able to know about that. Uh, but if we were to see them in wearing completely different clothes in a different yeah. location, but everything in the scene would be the same, we would immediately know. It would be too easy to tell. So, to me, it almost feels like after all this, uh, you know, like, especially uh, after the first act is done, letting us know, okay, this is a movie about very carefully paying attention to who is telling the story, to whom, about what, and what is their intent, and uh, being invited as the audience to pay so careful attention to these frameworks. It's almost as if after all the, the actual plot threads are resolved, we are given one last test to see if we've been paying attention and to see if we can detect whose lens is being used. And, and we all fail. We all failed spectacularly. <laughs> we fell so badly. Like, and it is brilliant. It is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> it just, as soon as I realized that my, my, because I already liked this movie, yeah. but my respect for it just went through the roof because it goes beyond just it's, okay, we want to have a depiction of women, you know, like, uh, just, just uh, you know, if we for a moment even just forget about all the all the subtext and all the you know like the social commentary that's in it, on its own, it's just like a brilliant visual deception where it gives you all the tools that you need to learn, you know, like to properly solve the final puzzle at the end, yeah. and then it leaves it to you to do so and yeah. trusts that you'll be able to figure it out, yeah. or at least it doesn't spoon-feed you the answer. No, it leaves. It leaves you there until you can realize it yourself or stay there forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and, and the only, I think, sad thing about this is that because, you know, you can't spoon-feed the, the audience this final answer, like, yes, yeah. this is the Count's perverted fantasy fueled by all of Hideko's, you know, yeah. readings that he attended, is that people are... Uh, now thinking of this, okay, this is like the movie shortcoming. Like, look how the final scene, still because it has a male director, falls yeah. prey to the male gaze. And yeah. oh, you know, it's it's a good movie, but it has a few flaws. And you can't tell them because that's the whole conceit. The yeah. whole conceit is like, yes, we're doing that, and you're supposed to figure out that we know, and we put it there for you to figure out. <laughs> yeah, and as confident as I am about this theory, I think you should always leave some room for being wrong sure. because we're not in the mind of the director. But I just love this take on the movie. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> I think it works perfectly and it turns it into not only the story of Hideko and Suki, but the story of everyone mm. struggling to figure out what is real and what isn't mm. and being deceived most of the time sure but i also like how it bypasses the the problem with uh, that the ending has if you don't have this reading yeah if you do wonder to yourself okay this depiction of lesbian sex at the end is it properly empowering to women or not mm. are we uh, are they taking control of the symbols that have been used to oppress them or are they still being ruled by them that whole yeah. Uh, duality where we don't know if it's you know like a, a, a which of the readings is correct is completely mm -hmm. subverted by yeah. uh, you know 
information that is very deliberately set up by the movie itself mm -hmm. that I think is very di it's very difficult I think at least to dismiss all the visual connections that are made to clue you into this uh, uh, whatever the intent that at the very least this is the Count's imagination that you're looking at. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, <laughs> obviously, having learned this, we had to drop this yes. <laughs> on you. There you have it. <laughs> dear listeners, I think we should leave you with this. Uh, go in, watch The Handmaiden. Again, if you haven't already, watch these scenes and let us know what you think. Leave us a comment or send us an email if you have any thoughts about this movie or any uh, previous episodes. And we'll talk to you next time.